Not arguments. Now listen, you two. What victory are you going to show these people when most of them have been killed, eh? A fluid link? Is this what you're going to hold up to them and say, thank you very much, this is what you fought and died for? Welcome to Time Streams. I'm Nathan. And I'm Juliet. And we're going to talk about the last three episodes, episodes five through seven of the Daleks, which is also sometimes referred to as the mutants or the dead planet. So Juliet, how have you been since last time? Well, you know, quarantined. Yeah. <laughs> I still have a job still. That's awesome. And I'm still working from home. However, yesterday I have become immersed in Final Fantasy VII, the remake. Mm -hmm. It was very difficult for me to pull myself off of that about 45 minutes ago in order to get set up to record. So is Final Fantasy, was that like your intro to Final Fantasy or had you played the earlier games also? Nope, Seven was my intro and I fell in love with it when I was a kid. The story, the music, the cheesy graphics, everything about it was the best thing and it still holds the coveted favorite game spot for me. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting to me because I think that everyone who went into Final Fantasy was seven, like that's their favorite. I started with what was called in those days two, but is now four because we've gone to the Japanese numbering now. That was my intro and that is my favorite and I think that's the best one. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody's almost always biased toward the first one. It's the same thing with which doctor did you watch first? But see, with me, I'm not, the, the first one I saw was Tom Baker and he is not my favorite. So even though I like Tom Baker, so I, yeah, no, I know that that's probably generally true though. So how are you doing? I am doing okay. I am also still employed, so that's good as far as that's concerned. But they are, at my work, they're doing like a two-week furlough for everybody. But it's not like all at once. It's, they're basically letting it, they basically just want it within the, the first half of their fiscal year, which starts in March. So sometime before the end of August, we all have to like take two weeks off. But they don't want everybody taking off at the same time. So we got like this sort of system going on, so... That kind of stinks, although theoretically, supposedly, I'm supposed to get a tax refund check and I'm supposed to get the stimulus money, you know, <laughs> so maybe it won't be so bad, but, you know, <laughs> I'll believe all of those things when I see them. Same here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is, if I just had to work from home, that would not be a problem. Like I, you know, I've done it before when I've had to let like contractors into the house for whatever reason or whatever, you know, I've been like, hey, can I work from home this day? And my boss is usually cool about it. But the problem is that the kids are also home <laughs> doing schoolwork from home. And the problem is like the schools like have no idea how to handle this either. So it's all just a bunch of busy work. 
like the teachers aren't there's really like no one-on-one other than my daughter's orchestra my oldest daughter's orchestra teacher is having them do like i don't know what platform they're using whether it's zoom or whatever but they are doing like calls once a week she is but like the other teachers just like they post on a website somewhere or whatever like these are your assignments wow and it's all busy because they're not teaching anything new (laughs) so it's all just like here's like a bunch of math problems to work through Wow. Yeah, no, I, I don't understand how the teachers, I guess I can't understand. It's public schools. They weren't pr- properly funded for or prepared for any of that. Yeah. So the kids are resisting it. You know, they don't <laughs> want to do it. And so it's like, I'm trying to like get my work done while at the same time getting on them to do their work. While at the same, There was one day where one of them was in here with me, you know, so I'm supposed to be doing something for work. One of them's in my office with me and I'm helping her with stuff. And then the other one's waiting outside the door. It was like a line was forming. <laughs> You know, oh I'm just like, oh, so I'm the teacher too now. So yeah, it's a little stressful. I could not even imagine dealing with it. I have two cats and a bird. That's plenty. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, the pets too. I, I do. Yeah. The cat is also somewhat difficult because she wants to walk all over my work laptop. Yeah. You know, while I'm working and it's just kind of like, stop. Although I learned funny enough because I, you know, I, we do have like a spray bottle that we use like in the kitchen or whatever when she's getting, you know, somewhere she shouldn't. But mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to bring a spray bottle near my computer. But then I found out that the canned air is Mm -hmm. actually really, really effective. Like, way more than even the spray bottle. Like, she is terrified. Like, I I got her once with the canned air. And she's like, I just look at her and, like, point it at her now. And she runs off. Oh, Yeah, I saw, uh, and my dad, actually, who his company contracts sometimes with NASA for construction work, uh, the whole idea about, about NASA having to have virtual meetings about how to handle those of them that are working from home on their laptops and have cats. Mm-hmm. And I'm just now imagining a cat walking across a keyboard and uh, doing a course correction for the space station or something. <laughs> this just makes me so happy. See, I was wondering if that was like really legit or if people were just joking around about that. My dad says, yeah, no, they're doing everything from their laptops at home. I'm like, great. This is <laughs> very confidence inspiring right here. <laughs> Uh, wow. So, um, since last time, I understand that you watched one of the DVD extras, which is online, about the making of the Daleks. I did, and it was so cool. I, I, they're my favorite Doctor Who villains, so to find out about how they were created, the people that were inside them, the people that did the voices, and how they came up with all of it was very cool. Yeah, yeah, no, I like it because I mean, there's there's like a whole level of detail that's never really like talked about with like the idea that they're claustrophobic and stuck within this like tiny little can. And you know, that's part of the reason why they're so shrill, right? You know, like that they they have this shrill and they're really excitable and jumpy, you know, and kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, that's like a really cool like thing that they were thinking of that like level of detail. And that's why they they are the way they are. Because now it's just, it's kind of just expected, you know, it's how the Daleks are. And I don't know that the people now who are writing for it really think of it in those terms, but it's kind of neat to just sort of understand the process. It really is. And, you know, how they created the voices, all, mm. the, all the little tiny things that just went into the creation of the Daleks. Yeah, the writer came up with the idea that he had seen some, like, a Russian ballet or whatever, where the people seemed to glide across the floor without any obvious movement of their feet or whatever. And so mm. it's like the idea of the Daleks just gliding across the floor and you don't see the leg, you know, that there was like like a skirt kind of thing over the dancers that the guy saw. So, you know, the idea that they glide across the floor and there's no legs and that's a way of, like, making them look not human. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. 
But I'm glad that you saw that. And there's also one uh, for anyone listening to this that's online. And I'll, I'll find the, the actual titles so I can put them in the show notes. But there's also one on the making of that first Doctor Who story. Also, where they go into the details of the whole background and how they made the decisions they made and everything. So that one's pretty good, too. But uh, yeah, so you want to jump right into it, Juliet? Sure. All right, so can you bring us up to speed on what was going on the first four episodes? Okay, so we left the caveman plant, we left caveman times on Earth, mm-hmm. and we ended up on a planet that appeared to be relatively safe, if somewhat barren and petrified. However, we didn't realize until after we left the TARDIS that there was increasingly high levels of radiation out there, really bad levels. I don't even know if that was a Geiger counter or what the TARDIS's like, gauge says, but <laughs> it looked bad. Yeah. From there, we wander around, we check it out, we get freaked out by metal animals that appear to be dead. I don't know, but they are made of metal, it looks like. Mm -hmm. And we find out that they're being watched by something, someone, something, we're not sure who yet. And then we see the edge, we see a city off in the distance, and the doctor really wants to go explore this city. And they're like, no, we're going to get out of here because we don't like this place. The doctor's like, well, fine. Thank goodness they didn't let him go off on his own because we all know what happens when the doctor right. goes off on his own. <laughs> so we get back to the TARDIS. The doctor starts to fire it up. He fiddles with the console a bit. The TARDIS does not go anywhere. In fact, it makes horrible noises. And then the doctor's like, oh, look, we need mercury. And Ian, I can't blame him. Why don't you have mercury on the TARDIS as a backup? I don't know. <laughs> but the doctor's got this really shady look on his face. So we're pretty sure that he did this on purpose because he wants to go explore a city and he's a jerk. Mm-hmm. So we have to go explore the city in hopes of finding Mercury. Inside this city, we discover some interesting things, strange doorways that, that are shaped weirdly. And then we see Barbara encountering something that looks terrifying to her. She's screaming. We find out these are Daleks. These are, this is a planet called Scarrow. And there were two races, Daleks and Thals, or Dolls and Thals. There was a fantastic war with neutron bombs that just leveled everything. It it petrified the forest. That's why there's so much radiation. And both races underwent severe mutations. Well, the Daleks, as they have become, are sort of frightened about this. But they decide that they, they find out about radiation medicine that the humans now realize they desperately need. And they reach an agreement. They'll let Susan go off and get this medicine because they kind of want to check it out. Only if she provides some of it to them, too. So Susan goes back to the TARDIS hoping to find it because it was going to be Ian, but we're going to send Susan. And the doctor himself, he's, he's really not doing well, so she wants to hurry back and get her grandfather healthy. She makes it back, and we find inside the TARDIS, she remembers that before they went and found the city, they had discovered a weird metal box full of vials outside of the TARDIS. They didn't know who or what left it there. So she goes back and she finds it. This is the this is radiation medicine, or anti-radiation medicine. And I'm totally getting this out of order. I know. <laughs> it's fine. You're getting there. Susan eventually realizes that there's people out there. They look like humans. In fact, they look like humans with absolutely terrible fashion sense. I don't know where these outfits came from. The men are wearing some weird cutout pants. The women look like Playboy bunnies wearing some sort of sack in the front. And I don't know who these people are, but these are, from what we're told, these are the thals. You're laughing at me. (laughs) Well, you know what's funny? Because I have some other things, like some commentaries and things that I listen to. And even the director was slagging off the costumes. And he was like, yeah, this is all we could afford, but this is like the worst the way that we could address anyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's so terrible. 
But these are the Thals. Uh, they apparently, in the time that it has taken since the war, they mutated and they've come back around to looking like this. And they're sort of a peaceful people now. Except for, I think her name is Dione. <laughs> she is, I, I don't know, I, I call her RBF as well as Chica in my notes. Because this woman has the best expression of resting bitch face I've ever seen. She does not like anyone coming near her, man. She has the best comebacks ever. This woman could lead a tribe of warriors, I have no doubt, if they were warriors. <laughs> but they kind of explained to Susan about how all this went down and what they know about it. So Susan comes back to the city. She's got the radiation meds. The Daleks decide that they're going to be Daleks. I don't blame them. They want to survive. And what's good for them isn't good for anybody else. And this leads me to some many questions I have for the notes for the next few episodes. Long story short, our heroes managed to plan a fantastic escape. They do escape in a great way after pulling a Dalek out of the actual suit, which we only see a weird, creepy hand later. They escape, they find the Thals, and now we've got, and they they plan to leave, they plan to get out of here. Then Ian realizes, crap, they took the the part of the TARDIS that we need out of my pocket. Now we have to go back. And they plan to go back and they talk with the Thals and the Thals are like, well, this isn't a great idea. Oh crap, where did I leave off? <laughs> <laughs> You're pretty much there at the cliffhanger because they're telling the Thals at first that, hey, you might have to fight. And then Ian is like, oh no, because the doctor was like, well, it's their decision. Let's just go. And that's when Ian is kind of like, uh, oh crap, I don't have the fluid link anymore. The Daleks must have taken it. So, yeah, and that was the cliffhanger. Because I I was watching all of them, and then I couldn't remember where we left off. Like, I can't remember if we left off with the Thals coming in for the ambush, which I think that they did. Yes. I forgot to mention the ambush, didn't I? The Thals came in thinking they were going to get food from the Daleks, which actually looked like a bunch of weird balls on a stack of toilet paper. (laughs) the toilet paper. (laughs) I'm not going to get over that. (laughs) It was so weirdly topical. It was. Oh my gosh. That We now know the Daleks were hoarding to- toilet paper and that's what lured our Thals out into the open. Right. It's going to be the downfall of society right there. I need to find a screenshot of that and post it with the episode because, because I don't think people will believe it until they see it. The moment you see it, there's no denying that's toilet paper. Right. So during the ambush, the Thal leader gets killed by the Daleks and they all make it back out except for the Thal leader, of course. That's when we realize that bad things are going to be happening. Yep. Then that's when they tell the Thals that they might have to fight. And then that's when they, yeah, the end discovers the thing. But yeah, well, thank you, Juliet. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure when I told you to like summarize the four episodes, it would just be like, you just do it in, like three sentences or what. But that, that was really good. I like that. It was tempting. I was, I was tempting to be like creepy monsters in suits, really bad fashion sense. Dione is my hero. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I like that you devoted a sufficient amount of time to Dione. (laughs) She's fantastic, and she only gets better. Yeah, actually, uh, I found out, because uh, after you started going off about her, I started looking her up online. She actually had a fairly decent acting career and now runs a cancer charity. Really? Yeah, because her husband died of of pancreatic cancer, so it's a charity for pancreatic cancer. Good for her. Yeah. So, yeah, she's still living right now. I want to write her fan mail and tell her well, that I've already been affected by her performance. <laughs> I will make a note of that and see if I can find, like, uh, where you can send fan mail to her. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, that takes us to episode five, The Expedition. Well, I guess before we start, I'm just going to say, though, 
you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, we broke it here and that's because it's the way I originally watched it and also because I didn't want to cover seven episodes in, in one of our episodes. But a lot of the people that comment on this story are often like, oh, yeah, the first four episodes are really great. But then like the last three, it like turns into like a B movie or whatever. So I'm going to be kind of interested in your thoughts on these last three episodes as someone just coming into it, because I'm not sure it's as cut and dried as all that. Okay. All right. So the Daleks. They've been spying on the TARDIS crew. And I love the fact that like the, the Daleks can take pictures of people out in the forest, but they have no video. Right. It's sort of <laughs> weird, but also leads me to some serious questions. Right. I really want to know some detailed history between the Dolls and the Thals and the history of Scarrow in general. Like, hmm. who attacked who first? Is, I'm assuming the Thals attacked the Dolls, which would make sense since the Thals were the warriors and the Dolls were the thinkers and philosophers and then why does all of this justify the daleks paranoia what is what is the history yeah the funny thing is that actually we're gonna i'll talk about this when we get to the end but the original storyline that they came up with for this did not end the same way at all and i think you'll agree after we talk about it that this was probably the better route but some of your questions were answered in the original storyline, but nobody liked that version. Um, <laughs> but what will happen, it'll take a while. It'll be, you know, like 10 years later, like as far as like the show. But we do actually see the history of Scarrow at one point. Ooh. Yeah, so that will come. Cool. But yeah, so then we get to back to the Thals, you know, Aladon saying that they're not going to fight. They're not warriors. It's not something that they want to do. And the doctor saying that he can't make a spare fluid link and he doesn't have any mercury anyway. One of the things that I really like about this, though, is that, the, that they start doing is the doctor getting Ian's name wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and later on, it's kind of sad because William Hartnell actually got sick towards the end of his time and he started like screwing up lines unintentionally. But mm. this whole thing with him with Ian is like actually a deliberate thing. And I really love it that like he thinks so little of Ian that he doesn't even try to get his name right. So it's like Chesserman, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh. So I like that. And that starts here. So, you know, I think that's cool. Yeah, this scene has some good stuff. Again, Dione enters into it and me wanting her to become their new war chief as soon as they quit being pacifists. Right. And then Ian's having this existential crisis, but Barbara is... A- she goes off with some fantastic mansplaining to him. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the whole thing is, yeah, I mean, like, Barbara and the Doctor are both clearly on the side of, we need this fluid link or we can't leave, and so we're just going to have to make the Thals, like, do this thing for <laughs> us so that we have the numbers. And Ian's like, I don't think that's right. If they decide to fight the Daleks because they feel like they need to, that's one thing. But he says something like, so what am I going to do? Like, hold up a fluid link and say, hey, this is what you fought and died for. Right. So he's really worried about the morality of the whole thing. And I also love that the Doctor is just like, because, you know, they mentioned, well, even if the Thals do go with us, there's no weapons or anything. And the Doctor's like, with me to lead them, uh, they're bound to, you know, bound to succeed. (laughs) Yeah, I even have that note. So how will you help them succeed, Doctor? (laughs) He's just so smart. (laughs) He'll figure it out. Man, I have not seen in all of my, what, six or seven episodes, I haven't seen Ian and Barbara fight quite like that before. 
Yeah, well, I I like that, and that's the that's the thing that like this version of the show lets them do because this is before they've built up the Doctor as this sort of grand, awesome being who's just so much smarter and so much more experienced than everyone. And since you have more people in the TARDIS too, you can get these things where you like actually have believable like arguments between all of them on what are we going to do about all of this? And there's no clearly right, like, well, this is the main character. And so whatever he says is right. Mm -hmm. So I like that. But yeah. And then what Ian does next to make his point about the Daleks and everything. Oh, yeah. He, well, first he takes their, like, history records, and he's like, I'll take these to the Daleks and trade them. Maybe they'll give us their fluid link for this. They don't care. Yeah, and Eladon's like, well, if that's what you want to do, I mean, it sucks, but, you know, we'll let you do it. And then Ian's thinking, and he's like, ha-ha. And he grabs Dione, and he's like, maybe I'll trade her for it. Maybe the Daleks will want to experiment on her. And Eladon just is like, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> and he punches Ian. Mm-hmm. It was some fantastically dramatic music happening, too. <laughs> yes. Like, wow, I couldn't believe it. I thought for sure Dione was actually going to, you know, start, like, kicking <laughs> Ian for that one. But... Yeah, it's a little out of order, but I love the thing where, like, Caledon's saying to Dione, did you hate me now because I got violent? And she's like, no, I think I would have hated you if you hadn't hit him. <laughs> See? This just goes to prove my point. <laughs> yes. I know. She's just like, oh, no, I really like that. <laughs> You're such a man now. Oh, gosh. <laughs> then we cut to the Daleks, and they are not doing well with the anti-radiation drug. No, there's a Dalek making some sort of weird sex noises, and that sounds <laughs> creepy. <laughs> I never thought of that with that. Oh, oh no. It sounds like that Dalek uh, is getting off. Uh... <laughs> Oh, no. You're never going to listen to it the same way. No, I'm never going to listen to it the same way. <laughs> but yeah, then the Daleks figure out that they actually, they've uh, adapted to an environment with radiation. And if and so they need radiation to survive. And so with the levels of radiation outside dropping, eventually they won't be able to live in this environment anymore. So they're like, uh, we're going to have to explode another neutron bomb so that we can have more radiation everywhere. Mm-hmm. I feel really bad for them because I think that they really maybe a little bit wanted to be able to be free of the radiation, mm. but they simply can't. They don't haven't hit that part of their evolution yet if they will ever hit it. Yeah, I think I think that the idea that they were trying to go for, although it's never said, is that because the Daleks went and put themselves inside those machines, that that's what stopped them from continuing to develop and, and to go full circle like the Thals did. Mm -hmm. And so the Thals who were outside, they just continued mutating and it can then eventually they mutated back. The Daleks sort of stopped at the point when they got inside the machines. Yeah, poor Daleks. Yeah. The other thing, though, that happens with this scene is that they decided that since they only had the four Dalek props like we talked about, or the to I don't know, you can't call it a costume, but I don't know what to call it. They only had four Dalek shells. And they decided that, oh, we have to beef up their numbers. So suddenly you have these cardboard blow-up Daleks <laughs> along one wall, you know, where it's like, we're supposed to believe these are extra Daleks, but they look so 2D. They so did. <laughs> they look so terrible. But luckily our attention was taken from them by the crazy spinning Dalek in the midst. Right. <laughs> yeah, then we go back to Aladon. 
Oh, yeah, by the way, who sleeps in that headpiece? Dione, she loses a little bit of respect from me for that weird Playboy bunny-looking headpiece she's sleeping in. Uh, well, she's got to keep Aladon around somehow. I don't know. Apparently, with all these other women showing up. That's right. Which, by the way, Barbara's getting macked on by that one dude. Yeah, suddenly Ganatus and Barbara are, like, walking off in the moonlight to have private conversations together, so... Well, I mean, here's the issue. You know, people keep... <laughs> so the people who talk about this show compare the Thals to the Smurfs. Oh, my God. And it's kind of that way, right? There's, like, the one... I mean, I know we see some other Thal women in the background, but it's like you got the one woman Thal, and there's all these men Thals. <laughs> so it's like as soon as Barbara shows up, it's like, <gasps> another woman! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> but yeah, it's like they, because they, they can see some light in the distance and Barbara's asking him what that is. And he tells her that there's like the swamp there that the light's reflecting off of and that they've tried to go in there before. But it's like the horrible place where there's just like all these dangerous mutations running around and that basically it's a perfect defense for the Daleks at the back of their city. Mm-hmm. Because only a fool would attack the city from the lake. And my note, and we are a bunch of fools! That's right. Spoiler, they're really foolish. They so are. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I kind of like the next shot, which is where we get the Dalek eye view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we come in the, with the Dalek. They've stopped distributing the drug, and they're actually putting the Daleks where the, that they gave the drug to in uh, a, like their nuclear reactor room mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to like get all the radiation. So that's how they're trying to they're trying to decide if that's what they need is more radiation. And then Aladon makes his big speech of we can't let these people die and we're also dying without food. The Daleks have plenty of it and they're not willing to share it, you know, rah rah rah. And he asks like he's like I'll go with them if nobody else will. And then everybody's like no no no, we'll go with you too. So he's sort of rallying the troops. They agree to split into two groups because splitting up always the best. Of course it is. But I I do want to point out that Ian did not react at dude's mention of talking to Barbara the night before. Yeah. Either he was too focused on the mission or he's not jealous and I'm not sure which yet. Yeah, that's, yeah. I don't know what's going on there. Because he clearly, clearly, like the moment Barbara's like, oh, I stubbed a toe, he's there. Right. (laughs) Right next to her. But yeah, so they're deciding that like a small group's going to go through the swamp to try to get in the back of the city, and the like the main group of Thals with the Doctor and Susan are going to try to provide distractions at the front of the city so that the Daleks don't pay attention. So yeah, then the Daleks discover that the Daleks that were treated with more radiation are better, so they know that yeah, the neutron bomb's the right way to go. Did you notice the way they were holding the ticker tape? It was like draped over their plungers. It was the cutest thing ever. I know. It's so funny because, I mean, in some ways this is so 60s, right? You know, where it's like, well, a computer has ticker tape. You know, this is before we, they even had monitors for computers. It was all just ticker tape displays. And so they can't conceive of the Daleks having something more advanced than that. It's like, oh, yeah, so the Daleks just have ticker tape, even though their plungers are not designed for that sort right? of thing at all. But yes, they had one draping its sucker underneath it, and then the other one has its sucker underneath it. It's so perfect. (laughs) Yeah, so then we get the group going into the swamp, and I have got to say, I do not understand, because we get this nice shot of the, like, the squelchy wet ground, and... 
we're seeing Barbara's feet, and she's wearing sandals. Yeah, I wondered about that. She needs better clothing for adventuring. <laughs> I know, because it's like you're in a swamp. I do want to point out, somebody, some dude, and I think I know which one, loaned her a pair of pants. Yes. <laughs> yes, she is now wearing the thaw pants with the cut-out sections up the sides. But sandals. Sandals. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, yeah, because you're in a swamp. Your feet are going to sink in a little bit. It's going to get really nasty. It's ugh. Somebody started splashing swamp water on his face. Why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ian goes to the water as he's splashing water in his face. Uh-huh. I'm like, Ian, I mean, it's actually got like like gas or something rising up from it. So it's not like pure water, right? And it's like, I really wouldn't want to like have that you know, in my face. And that's where they're getting drinking water from too. And I'm like, oh God. I know. like nasty polluted water it's just like, it oh, so yeah, hurts <laughs> although i will say this and i don't think we talked really about the set for the forest in the last one we might have said something the sets in this are actually pretty good they're not bad i'll, I'll give them that yeah uh, for us you know the, the fact they're always complaining about their small space like it does look very swampy where they are and the forest i think looked like a nice thing for like an alien forest when they were in that place, that I, mm-hmm. I thought that that looked pretty good. Oh, uh, yeah. And so this is when we find out that Ganatus, the guy that's interested in Barbara, has a brother, Antidus. And Antidus, had, they'd been here before, but everybody else that was with them had died. And Antidus is, like, super traumatized. Oh, yeah. He ran in terror. Yeah. And he's like, uh, I, I don't want to be here. I don't think we should be going this way. I want to go back. And from the very beginning, he's like that. And Gantz is like, oh, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> We're doing this. And you can tell that something really bad is going to happen there. And then we start seeing like, what looks like a swamp thing. Yeah, we see a few different things. One thing is like this sort of like weird octopus looking thing that just like rises up out of the swamp. But its little tentacles are actually standing it up. And I thought that looked pretty good. It had glowing eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that, that looked pretty good. And they're just like, uh, nope. <laughs> was it that thing or a different thing in the swamp that sounded like a cow in distress? One something in that swamp did, but it sounded like a very unhappy cow. Mm-hmm. And then there's one thing, though, that's funny. They look down, and there's, like, a stock footage of, like, a caterpillar that's, like, <laughs> extremely zoomed in. And Ian's, like, whacking, you know, it with something. Yeah. Like, it's some monster they've seen or whatever. And it's, like, it's off camera. And it's, like, yeah, okay. <laughs> that was a little can of caterpillar. We could tell. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, and the line. The line we get from Ganatus. He says to Ian, I'm surprised that you let Barbara come. Ganatus is recognizing something with Ian that Ian says, I'd be more surprised if I could have stopped her. Right? Yeah. And that, that, that plays off again later when, when he's talking to Barbara. Yeah, and the thing with Barbara and her clothes, at this point they hadn't established that the TARDIS has this huge wardrobe inside of it where they can just find new clothes, I think. And so I think they were just thinking like, you know, Barbara's been wearing the same stuff like through the caveman times and now through the first half of this story. And they were like, uh, we need to probably have her change her clothes because probably getting a little ripe. Just a bit. Yeah, that's your comment about the, the thing that was yelling like a cow. <laughs> Because I got the thing about the swamp noises. 
Yeah, why is Ian washing his hands and face in water with gas rising up from it? So awful. <laughs> He's supposed to be a teacher. I know. Like, like, like that's the kind of water that if you put your hands in it, you may, might come back out as stumps. Right? You know? <laughs> Just melt off. But yeah, then they spend the night there. I love the fact there's no tent, no protection, no nothing. They're just like, yeah, this place where we're hearing all these screams and yells of creatures, we're just going to sleep. It's cool. No watch, no nothing. You know, nobody's staying up to watch out for us. These guys have obviously never played D&D. <laughs> so in the morning, they see that there are pipes rising up out of the lake into the mountain. And so they're like, oh, if there are pipes, there's probably a way to get into the city near the pipes. And they talk about maybe making a raft to go across the lake, but then they're like, yeah, maybe not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We don't know what kind of crazy monsters are in the lake. But then the one fall goes into the lake to refill the water bags. But then, and this is a part, this is the part that I think looks awful. He starts screaming. We get a shot of a whirlpool in the lake, but the guy is on the shore. Oh, with his legs stretched out as if he was a ballet dancer. Like, he deliberately stretched out one leg toward the edge of the swamp as if to say, here, kitty, kitty, kitty. But, like, the idea, I think, is that, like, the whirlpool is sucking him in, but none of his body appears to be touching the water. So I don't understand what's sucking him in. I can't even. I can't. So they did pretty well up until that point, I think. But yeah, that one, that effect, the effect looked fine. You know, the whirlpool, it looked like this giant whirlpool in the lake. But they should have really done something to make it look like he was getting sucked in better. I mean, my notes actually say, why is his leg stretched out and close to the water? What the (laughs) F? Wow, he didn't make much of an effort to escape. It's like he deliberately put his leg out there. (laughs) Oh, the script says they die here. Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but that's the cliffhanger. And then we go into episode six, The Ordeal. Thrilling. (laughs) And some people make fun of that one, like this episode is an ordeal. Oh, gosh. (laughs) I don't think it's that bad. So they go to the, they all rush to the lake and he's gone. You know, the bag, the water bags that he had are just kind of floating around in the lake. And that's all there is. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we cut over to the doctor who's talking about how they need to do something to take out the Dalek surveillance system because otherwise it's not going to matter what they do because the Daleks will just be able to be there before they get there. And then inside the Dalek city, the Daleks have figured out that it's going to take 23 days to build the neutron bomb and they decide that's too long. And my note there was, why? (laughs) (laughs) They don't know that something's going down pretty soon. They're just, I mean, they've lived this long. What is another 23 days going to do? Right. It's not like the planet's going to be cleansed of radiation in 23 days. Right. So, yeah, but yeah, they're, uh, I think this might be a little bit later, but yeah, they decide that they're going to just open up their nuclear reactors and just let that just sort of surround the area with radiation. It's not a terrible plan. Yeah, no, I mean, it probably is easier than blowing up a bomb, you know, or building a bomb and blowing it up. Mm -hmm. So now at this point, they've gotten to the cave system, and Barbara and Ganatus are off on their own. Of course they are. (laughs) Yeah, what is it he says? I don't know if this is where he says it, but he says, I'm going down. And I was like, the words many women want to hear from a man, (laughs) even if he's dressed weirdly. Oh, man. 
Yeah, no, this is, yeah, this is near that point. I was going to say that they've got, like, Barbara's saying, well, we need to go back because we have to, you know, Ian wants us to meet at a certain time. Do you always do what Ian tells yes. you to do? <laughs> and I have next to that, leave her alone, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of thought she had a bit of a smile in her voice when she was like, nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yes, he's obviously very concerned about her relationship with Ian from his dialogue there and, and what he was saying to Ian in the last episode. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, then he's, they find like the end of the cave, but there's like a shaft and he wants to see what's down the shaft. And Barbara, oh my God, I don't know if the creators just didn't know how you do this or if they wanted to show that Barbara was just an idiot. But her thing of how to like lower him down by stepping on the rope. Oh, gosh. That was so bad, especially wearing sandals. Yeah, no, that's like, awful. <laughs> she, she ties the rope like like one loop around a rock, right? But not yeah. no knot or anything. And then she's like, then she's standing on it. <laughs> like my weight will keep it from moving. Right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he weighs more than you do, Barbara. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so of course she loses hold of it, and he falls to the bottom. But thankfully, it's not too far down. And at that point, Ian's going to look for her. And so he's running up and they find out that actually he's doing like he's okay. And he's like, hey, if you guys haven't found anything better, there's like way more caves this way. So you guys should all come down here. Oh, no, you got to mention the fact that he keeps yelling, Barbara, Barbara. And Ian's like, are you okay? And he's like, I'm fine. How is Barbara? And Ian's like, are you sure you're okay? No, I need to know if Barbara's okay. Yeah, well, Ian's trying to defuse that situation. Oh, right? it's he's beautiful. Like, you don't need to know about Barbara. And yet, that's all he wants to know about. <laughs> so, we go back to the Thals, who apparently are using mirrors to shine sunlight at the Dalek cameras from oh, way off in the jungle, and apparently that's doing something. I mean, okay. Yeah. It's like, uh, uh, fine. I don't know how this technology works, but uh, okay. <laughs> And then we're back to the Bane group. They're walking through the cave. And this is where they do like this fun, like sort of side shot of the cave where they've made it so that the the shot looks like a cave with like a, a, a ceiling that sort of curves around and that the floor kind of curves around where they've just like, you know, put something in front of the camera mm-hmm. to like block it off. But it kind of gives the impression of this is a cave by making it look kind of uneven and everything. So I kind of like that. It is pretty cool. Yeah, and Antidus, again, he and Ganetis are towards the back, and he's like, "Uh, we can just go. Everyone who's going is going to die anyway. Going forward is going to die anyway, but if we run back, we can just be like, hey, we escaped. They're dead. And Ganetis is like, um, no. (laughs) (laughs) He's got to be, he has to impress Barbara. Right, exactly. That's right. But then while they're arguing, there's a cave-in anyway, blocking them from going back. Oh, yeah, he does not look happy about that. Yeah. But then here comes my favorite, like, like the whole Dalek story is worth the price of admission for this one scene where the doctor with his superior brain is going to take out the Dalek sensors. And so he and Susan, they go, they find this, like, it looks like this just sort of box, you know, on the side of a wall. And apparently this is where, like, the sensors are controlled. And... He just, like, takes his cane, and he takes the TARDIS key, and he just, like, is whacking the thing and breaking it, and then he makes the, the keychain, like, connect two points, and it shorts out, and there's this big flash, and everything's, like, all burnt up and broken. And Susan's like, okay, we gotta go. And he's like, 
don't you see what I've just done? Like what I can do with a few simple tools and a superior brain. And he's just like, so pleased with this petty vandalism that he's I just have done. That note. <laughs> the so arrogant. Superior brain. <laughs> I just, I just love it. It's just like, all you did was smash something, right? It's like, it's not like that complicated, but he's so pleased with himself. But then because he's standing around and gloating, the Daleks show up. And so, yeah, he and Susan are captured now. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the bit where they come to uh, the group that's in the cave. They come to uh, a chasm, basically. And there's more cave on the other side, but they need to jump the chasm. And so Ian, of course, being Ian, decides he'll go first. <laughs> you know, he'll make the jump. And so he does, he gets over, but there's not, there's not a whole lot of room on the other end. Like basically when you jump over, you basically have to like be right up against the wall because there's not like any like room to, you can move side to side, but you can't go forward or backward. Right. And so, um, so he had a rope with him when he jumped over. And so now they're doing a thing where Ian's, you know, tying the rope to himself to be the anchor and they're throwing the other end over so that they can tie themselves together and then when they jump, Ian's there to, you know, to help him out. And then they're walking around the, the end of the wall because there's more cave around the other side. And so everybody goes over, you know, pretty much okay. Other than Barbara, who decides, even after other people have gone ahead of her, that instead of hugging the wall, you know, facing the wall to go around, she's going to do it with her back against the wall. I can't blame her on this one, okay? I am utterly terrified of heights. I, yeah. I think my brain would just break having to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, but wouldn't it be a lot less scary to not be looking at the chasm while no. you're going around? No, it's still just as scary, and you can't even think. So somebody would have to physically turn me around to face the wall. Okay. Okay, well, that's what happened. Like, Ian helps her get around because they have to go around this sort of, like, corner in the wall to, like, get on the other side and and there's more stuff. But finally, you know, Ganita or Antidus is the last one. And he, he didn't want to go, you know, everybody else is going, letting everybody else go. And then he ends like, okay, he throws the rope over the first time. He just like bounces off of Antidus and falls <laughs> into the chasm. He didn't grab it or anything. But the second time he, he grabs it, he does it, he makes the jump. And he actually does make the jump. But then he makes it in such a way that he sort of hits the wall. Mm-hmm. And then he like sort of falls back into the chasm and so then we've got ian trying to like hold him up and that's that's basically like Ian's just slipping further and further into the chasm as he's trying to get a grip and that's the cliffhanger literally yes yes the literal cliffhanger that was my note that i wanted to hold on to (laughs) (laughs) yeah the thing that i missed though was they did cut back to the daleks for a minute to show that they had the the dog, like the doctors in their like control room area and they're all surrounding him. And at that moment, we actually get the Daleks doing like the sort of Nazi salute thing with like their plungers all going up in the air mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're talking about extermination. And so it's like, okay, they're landing on just a little thick here. Yeah. <laughs> Mythology has to start somewhere. That's right. <laughs> and so now we're on to the final episode, The Rescue. So Ganatus hears Ian struggling and he runs over to help him. But even with the two of them together, because Antidus is just doing nothing but like hanging there limp. Oh no, and he's also screaming, I can't hold on. Right. Even though it doesn't look like he's trying to like hold on at all. 
Now, even Ian's yelling at him to try to get a grip on the rock face, and he's just holding onto this rope, just screaming. Right. So yeah, like what he decides to do though is he's just done, like completely done. He just takes out his knife and cuts the rope and falls. I don't think it was a brave thing he did. I think it was a very cowardly thing he still did. Well, no, I mean it is, but it's still pretty dark. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And so yeah, then so uh Ganatus's brother just died. And but Ian is fine now because there's no more weight on him and so um you know they they go on. So then we go back and now the Dalek and Susan are clamped to the walls. There are these clamps over their arms and legs that are just holding them over. Yes. And this is where the doctor is really trying to like, you know, he's starting to seem a little more heroic in this scene because he's talking about, or at least not maybe heroic, but more of like a moral character because he's talking about, hey, Daleks, you're so smart. Why do you have to use your intelligence to destroy? Why can't you use your brains to do right? And the dogs are basically like, uh, only one of us can survive. And if only one of us can survive, it's going to be us. You can't fault that logic. No. I mean, the only way I could fault it is, is it really true? Is there some way that both could survive if you just sort of think about it or, you know, create an area, you know, like maybe the city could become enclosed and the Daleks have their radiation and, you know, the Falls could live outside. But, you know, there might be other solutions. But, yeah, in sort of general sense, it's pretty much one or the other. But, yeah, and the Doctor go gets outraged because he's like, the senseless evil killing has to stop, you know. And so we're seeing more of the Doctor as somebody who's sort of championing goodness for a want of a better word then the ian's group they come to a dead end they start turning off their flashlights to conserve power but then they notice that there's light coming in from a different part of the cave and so they climb up to see what it is and they're actually right at a wall that's on the other side is the dalek city so they're going to climb through there and and get in and aladon at the same time is concerned because the doctor and susan never came back so he decides that it's time to attack. He picks up a stick. Yes, they're going to fight the Daleks with sticks. It's great. Oh, let me point out that as, as we're panning across all the falls, we see Dione in profile, and she has like the best chiseled RBF I've ever seen. <laughs> she, she has not forgotten how to fight. That's, well, yeah, and that's the funny thing is Aladon's like, have we forgotten how to fight? And I'm like, um, actually, yes. That was the whole point of the first few episodes. <laughs> And then we go back to the doctor and the doctor is now telling the Daleks that he can travel in time and space and that he will let the Daleks have that technology if they just don't kill the thoughts. Th- yeah, that freaked me out. I'm like, why would you even tell them about the TARDIS? And, and <laughs> don't, you don't get to tell them how to build one. I, is this how they end up leaving their planet? I don't know, but I'm scared now. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I suspect this was a bluff. I think he was just trying to buy time, but yeah, that was not a bad, or that was not a good move on his part. And so, yeah, the dog's basically like, we don't need you. We'll go, if you find, actually have this sh- machine, we'll just go out once there's radiation everywhere and we'll figure out a way to leave the city and then we'll just get your machine and we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then they start their countdown from 100. <laughs> Which you, I think you get to hear every number. Yes, no, it's like, oh my god, 
they really count from 100 and it's not seconds so that at least works because we don't know what their time scale is or whatever because it certainly takes longer than a minute and a half oh yeah for it all it takes a lot longer than a minute and a half but then yeah then they have an alarm going off uh because the falls are in the city and aladon finds ian and his group and at that point all the doors start closing also, I want to point out that while the doorway shapes are neat, they are still not shaped properly for Daleks. Why? Yeah, I, it is a little weird because they should be a little more rounded at the top instead of having that weird sort of, like, angle that they... I, I'm not sure why they did it that way. <laughs> okay. Because if it just looked like a sort of rounded top, that would make a lot more sense because of the way the Daleks are shaped. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a few Thals make it into the control room, and the Daleks just start blasting them away. And, oh, because in this one, they're, they're shooting the, the hallways, the Dalek hallways from further back. Like, mm-hmm. the force perspective actually works. Because remember I was saying in the early, like, when we were watching Barbara going through the city, that it was too, it was too close to, like, the force perspective hallway sh- paintings that right. it looked, like, really weird, like the floor was going up in an angle. But now they're like shooting from way down the hallway. And so then it suddenly looks like, okay, that makes it look like the hallway just keeps going a lot further. Mm-hmm. So the doors are coming down and they're trying to hold them open and people are getting under and everything else. Barbara's getting stuck and has to be helped <laughs> out by her new paramour. Yeah. And I always love these sorts of things because somehow even though the door is closing and everybody has to strain to like hold it open for somebody to get through. Somehow the last person is always able to get through. Right. Where it's like, wait a minute when that last person on one side has to go through, there's nobody still holding it. And there's only a couple of people that can reach on the other side. So shouldn't once they lose that extra help, (laughs) shouldn't they all drop it? You would think so. Yeah. It never works for me. Uh, <laughs> we get this huge fight scene with the Thals just coming from everywhere. Some are just rappelling down the ceiling, and it's like, where, what, where did, how did they get up on the ceiling? I mean, Barbara chucks a rock at one, I which is not. great. She becomes bait. Another one just comes over and hits a Dalek with a stick. Yeah. <laughs> but I still want to know where the Thals that actually are climbing down from the ceiling, where did they come from? <laughs> Why are they up that high? There must be some fantastic explanation for it. <laughs> I want them to be wearing all black with a ninja mask, you know, in front of their face. <laughs> it's like we're ninja falls. Why are the ceilings that high anyway? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe they're trying to say that there's some sort of like a catwalk up there or something, and somehow they got up on the catwalk. But it's like, if there was, then why are the falls up there in the first place? Why wouldn't they be trying to get on the main floor? I don't <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's because the Daleks can't look up very well. (laughs) We're coming from their blind spot. It's so bad. (laughs) But yes, I love all the craziness and people just like trying to push Daleks or wrestle. Like some people just like jump up on the Dalek like they're going to do something that way. I mean, one guy gets shot by a Dalek, but he managed to get up and he just grabs onto that Dalek and shoves him around. Yeah. But that's the thing. I guess it's because they lost the doctor too early because I'm not seeing any kind of plan or any. It just seems like they think we're going to show up. We're going to like be like bad Daleks and somehow we're going to win. But yeah. Yeah. Then there's the Thal who like is shot and he's just like, eh, whatever. <laughs> like, how is that going on? 
He takes it like a champ. That's right. He takes it like a champ. <laughs> Everyone else who's shot by the Dalek guns, they just go down. But not this guy. Mm-mm. But yeah, then they end up pushing a Dalek into something. Oh, no. No, no, no. Ian kicks it. <laughs> so Ian kicks the Dalek into something that causes this big flash. And then that apparently kills the power for all of them. And then they just kind of like glide along when you push them. Mm-hmm. And there's one last one talking and it's like, help us. And the doctor's like, I wouldn't know how even if I wanted to. And it was actually begging for its life. It was so sad. Yeah, it's, its final line is, stop our power from wasting or this is the end of the Daleks. Which we know can't be true. Right. Well, at this point, they didn't know that there were going to be sequels. They didn't know that the Daleks were going to take off. So this was intended to just be a one and done story. I mean, did you notice that its eye stalk went straight up when it died? Yes. That was sort of creepy and other words that are not suitable for children. (laughs) Oh, no. I never thought of that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, yeah, no, I did think that that was kind of a neat touch because, again, they're trying to make them as, like, non-human as possible. You know, when we, you know, when a human dies, everything goes down, right? You know, everybody just, you know, flop over, you, you become limp. And so with the Daleks, it's like Dalek dies and have its eye go up because it's different. Kind of creepy. <laughs> so yeah, the doctor then wants to check and make sure that none of the Dalek radiation got out because they were, I forget what number they stopped the countdown at, but it was, it was pretty low. So he just wants to make sure that nothing had started. Mm-hmm. And Barbara suggests that maybe it doesn't have to all be a waste, that the Thals can figure out how to use the Dalek technology and use it to, to grow their food and everything that they need. And the question that I have, if they've knocked out the Dalek power and all the doors are down, how do they get out of the city? Very carefully. <laughs> but this is where I wanted to mention the original ending. So originally... The story was going to start the same way. I'm not sure exactly where it was going to change over, but at some point, the Daleks and Thals were going to notice that there were ships coming towards the planet, and they were going to figure out somehow that the ships were what had caused the nuclear radiation the first time around, that wasn't either of them. It was some alien race that had done this to them. And they were going to work together, band together against these other aliens that were coming. And then those aliens were going to turn up and basically be like, hey, no, we're actually coming to apologize for what we did a thousand years ago. And then everybody's going to be like friends after that. Nah. Yeah, I'm really glad they decided to change that. (laughs) <laughs> I am really glad they changed that original concept because I don't see how the Daleks that the, they could have kept doing Dalek stories with that as the uh, as the story. Definitely not. I think that's why, though, in this version, the Daleks are still a little ambiguous. I'm okay with it. You know, as long as their story grows as we watch them. Mm-hmm. I, but I think that's why the Daleks aren't out and out necessarily evil at this point yet, because then they try to create some justification for what they're doing of, Hey, we're only doing this because if we don't do it, we're all going to die. And so we just care more about ourselves and stuff like that, where they definitely don't get any kind of moral justification as things go on. It's, but in this early, this early stuff they do. So, yeah, then we go back to the Thal camp, 
which I have some lovely color photos that I found of these scenes. <laughs> <laughs> I shared one with Juliet. It doesn't get any better in color. It really yeah. doesn't. Yeah, so one of the things I always wondered about, though, was, like, why did they have colorful costumes and stuff when they knew they were filming in black and white? And I actually found that the BBC had actually tried that at one point of just making everything all black, you know, just making all the clothes black and white and the sets black and white. And they said, like, actually, the actors hated it. They didn't feel like they could get into their roles properly. And so that's why they continued to make everything on the set in color you know, they went back to doing that was because they basically found that they got more out of the actors when they had color. I could see that. Yeah. But yes, the Thaw, if in case anyone was wondering, the Thaw costumes are actually like a kind of baby blue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really sort of light blue color. And yeah, it's, it's, it, it doesn't look good. But then especially with those really dark pants. It really doesn't. I mean, from the women that look like Playboy bunnies to the dudes with the cutout pants and the shirt vest things, which remember when we were in the caverns, that shoulder just kind of slipped right off. (laughs) I think that might have been more flirting. There are these straps that are supposed to hold like the two halves of the vest together. And you see on a lot of the actors that the straps have snapped and either the part that's supposed to hold the back and the front is broken so that they're flapping out like they shouldn't be. Or you're finding like the, like you're talking about where the one, the one has like his shoulders slipping because the thing that's supposed to keep the left and right together is either slipping or is snapped. And so, yeah, it's a really bad look and it's really ineffective clothing. Can't wait to see what kind of clothing we get in future episodes. But yeah, hey, at least you get to see a lot of men's chests and women's legs. I guess that's what... Just what I always wanted? (laughs) I guess that's what that's there for. Look, you got all these hunky guys and these beautiful women. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And let's be fair, okay. As much as Dione will cut you as soon as look at you, she's a pretty (laughs) lady. Oh, she very much is, and that's why, you know, she she has perfected the RBF. That's right. Yes. From the cast of Mean Girls, Thal style. (laughs) (laughs) Diony. But yeah, the Thals start asking the doctor who he is and where he's from, and he completely sidesteps that. I noted that. I'm like, yeah, he totally just ignored that question about where he's from. Mm -hmm. I never give advice. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I know that's the... (laughs) Even at this point, it's kind of like, okay, we know that's a lie, Doctor. But he does have a line that I really liked. My truth is in the stars. Mm-hmm. I really like that one. Yeah, and he says something about how, oh, well, I mean, yeah, there's a few different things he says. So, like, first he says that he's too old to be a pioneer, but he was once one among his own people. Mm-hmm. The Thals tell him that he can stay and live with them, and that's when he says that, yeah, his truth is in the stars. But if the Thal's descendants learn the secrets of the universe, then maybe one day he'll come and stay with them. Mm-hmm. So he leaves the, the idea that he might come back. He also tells them, because he's been taking like sample, we don't know how much longer this is after they um, stop the Daleks. But he's obviously still, it's obviously been a little bit of time where he's been able to take some samples of the soil and stuff. And he's saying that the planet is starting to heal itself. And that even within the lifetime of those Thal's, they might see things growing again and like there might be birds returning to the area and stuff like that. That's pretty happy. Yeah. So it gives sort of a happy ending. Did you notice as they're saying goodbye that Susan 
hugs Aladon and just clamps down. Oh, yeah. I also was watching Dione's face when that happened. <laughs> yes, she is not amused. Ooh. <laughs> oh, man. And then, yeah, Barbara and Ganatus. Ooh, yeah, no. This is racy for 60s programming here. I was wondering if I was like, isn't this a kid show? <laughs> there is some serious tension going on between these two. And then he's like, he gave her like clothing and she's stroking it mm-hmm. and he takes her hand and, and then he's like kissing it all passionately. Mm-hmm. And then Susan pokes her head out the car store. <laughs> right. Oh, we can't let things get too far out of hand. That's okay. Cause once Susan goes back in, we see the thing that Ian should be glad that he did not see ever kiss in the Yep. And I don't know if you noticed this, though, because Ian has no place to say anything, because there were four Thal women surrounding him in the back. Like, while the doctor's talking with Aladon and Dione, Ian's in the background with four Thal women surrounding him. Oh my gosh, I didn't even notice. What were they doing? Well, I mean, they were like, like were laughing. It, 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 looked, it looked to me like it was sort of like a, oh, Ian, you know, kind of like thing. Because he was saying something to them, and they were kind of like tittering. And so it was kind of like he was being like, yes, I'm the popular hero here. If Barbara and Ganatus were doing their thing, Ian was having some sort of crazy orgy. Apparently, but I think Barbara's thing was definitely much more emotional. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, he, he it was totally just hooked on her. He's never going to forget her. Mm-hmm. Every woman will be compared to her, which is going to really suck for every woman in that tribe. Yep, because no one else has dark hair. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he wants her to stay, but he knows she's going to go. And then I like, like, when the TARDIS dematerializes, Diony just, like, walks over to where the TARDIS was and is, like, you know, like, walking around and kind of putting her hands out, like, what mm-hmm. happened? Because you never see that, you know, like, people just watch the TARDIS go, they might be surprised, but, like, you never see anybody, like, going over and actually trying to touch where it was to be, like, where's the trick? Right. <laughs> I kind of like that. But, yeah, and so then we're inside the TARDIS, uh, everybody's just going about their business. Barbara's cuddling some clothing. Right. <laughs> but everybody's had time to change, or at least Susan's had time to change. She's not wearing the same thing she was wearing. And then there's a bright flash, everybody falls to the floor, and the lights go dark. And that is our cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what did you think of our last three parts? Liked them. I felt like we had some strange characters, but I really liked seeing the Daleks come into play, you know, really trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And it just makes me really want to know their history so much more. We got deeper into some of the Thals with Barbara and Ganatus. And I don't know, it it reassured me that the Doctor is still kind of an arrogant jerk. (laughs) Yeah. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed seeing how this one was resolved. But again, I'm curious to see this obviously... I know that it's not the end of the Daleks, but mm-hmm. I want to know what happens next because how do they get off this planet and start to become such a huge force? Yeah, so yeah, I mean, I was telling you, for as far as the show is concerned, it was perfect that this was the second story because the Daleks took off in a way that no one anticipated. Verity Lambert, she fought for them because, you know, you saw the the making of thing where they talked about how the head of drama for the BBC was like, I did not want bug-eyed monsters. And that's what this is. And she fought for the But that was just because she thought for the story, this makes sense. They're not like a generic sci-fi monster. Right. If you watch it, you'll get it. 
but then it took off. So it wasn't just like, yeah, this worked for the story. It was like, oh no, the Daleks were a genius idea and <laughs> you've really put Doctor Who on the map. Because if you look at the viewing figures for every episode of this story, they go up. Wow. More people were telling other people about it. And so they got up to over 10 million viewers. Wow. Which at that time, I mean, nowadays that's good, but you know, we have more channels now. But yeah, back then still, that was amazing. Even when they only had two channels in England in those days. And so it made a popular show. Dalek mania was everywhere. There were toys, figures, pins, lunch boxes. I love there it. was a record. <laughs> yes, you told me about that one. <laughs> They had like a costume, like a like a sort of like rubber Dalek costume for kids and mm-hmm. stuff. So yeah, Daleks just exploded everywhere. So of course, with all that going on, they were like, well, now we need a sequel. So we'll get to that eventually. But yeah, I mean, th- this is, th- they, they realized that, oh no, these can't be a one and done. Mm-hmm. This is too hot. But yeah, I mean, from my point of view... I get what people are saying, like, this gets more into B-movie territory with the sort of trip through the evil swamp to just fight a different kind of monster at the end kind of thing. But I think people are kind of selling this these three short because I think the discussion between the main group in the fifth episode about when is it right to fight and is it okay to get other people to fight mm-hmm. and the idea of pacifism versus, you know, because I mean... They never come... How do I say this? The Thal mindset of, hey, war led to this horrible environmental atrocity. We don't ever want to do this again. That's a very valid point. It is. And so the idea, though, that, well, but when your survival is at stake and there are people trying to kill you, maybe it's okay to fight. You know, they they get all that into it. And I kind of like those sort of philosophical discussions and where the morality of a situation, or even like what you talked about with the Daleks, if it's only us or them, it makes sense that the Daleks would be like, well, it's going to be us. Mm -hmm. So I like that. They have the same argument. They're also fighting for their own survival too. Mm -hmm. So of course their whole little ambush in the first part before they found out that they need radiation to survive, that was probably not something that was, you know, they can argue was uh, justified. I don't know. I gotta learn about the history of that planet and that war. Yeah, that's true. Maybe they saw some pictures of Dione and were like, we cannot let this person survive. War chief. She's gonna become their new war chief. (laughs) That's right. But yeah, some of the stuff, like, there's good relationship stuff between Ganatus and Barbara. It feels like that's very real and it works. The thing with Antidus is this sort of traumatized guy that's sort of forced into things is I think, again, like, you know, these are people that came out of World War II writing this stuff. And I think that there's like some reality there of people pushed into situations that they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of really cool stuff here. I do wish that Dalek fight at the end had been done better. I think they kind of dropped the ball there. A little bit. I could have used a bit more right there. Yeah. Because, I mean, it just looks so pathetic. We're going to hit them with sticks and rocks, but just because we got lucky and pushed one Dalek into one machine, that just shuts them down. Right. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, other than that, I liked it. I think some of that swamp stuff, like with the thing that stood up in the swamp with the, you know, like sort of octopus-y-looking thing, Mm -hmm. that was really good, and that was really well done. It was kind of creepy. Yeah. So, yeah, what would you give as an overall rating for the whole story, all seven episodes? I'm going to give it a nine because, man, did they do a great job of introducing some fantastic potential villains, but we are not sure about that yet. 
All right. Well, I am surprised because I thought that I was going to rate this one higher, but I also give it a nine. (laughs) I am really glad you dig this one. I do. It was awesome. So, yeah, any thoughts about where we're going with the next story? It's called The Edge of Destruction, and that's all I'm going to tell you. I have no idea since it, we, didn't, we didn't open or we didn't close on a new landscape or anything. I've got nothing except the title, but it sounds appropriately dramatic. Okay. <laughs> it is a two-parter. Okay. So it'll be fairly easy for us to watch and get back. But yeah, I will tell you it's only the four main characters in it. Okay. And they did this one because they basically... uh, So when they first conceived of Doctor Who, it was going to be at least a year long. So they were like, okay, 52 episodes, because in those days, they didn't give actors breaks. And and so they're like, okay, we're going to do 52 episodes. But then the BBC started getting cold feet, and they were like, well, let's wait and see. Make your first story, and then we'll kind of check. And so by this point... By the point they were planning these, they had been confirmed for 13 episodes. Okay. And so they figured that, well, so the first one was four parts. The second one was seven parts. That's 11 parts. And so we don't want to start, like, because they knew that they were going to do the Marco Polo story, which is the next one. And that was originally going to be the third one. But then they were like, well, we don't want to do another start another seven parter if we can only do 13 parts because then we'll just have to end it in the middle and no one will ever see the rest of it so like we're so we're going to create a story that's just two episodes long so that that way if the show is canceled and we only get those 13 we have a point where we can end it it's sensible yeah when you see it you'll you'll understand how that could also have been an ending so julia is there anything more that you wanted to say about the daleks or have we covered it all I think we've covered it all. Uh, I did watch some of the episodes while cuddling my little stuffed Dalek. Just wanted to say. <laughs> Very nice. Did it give you nice little thoughts of extermination? <laughs> um, sometimes, but mostly it just makes me extraordinarily curious about the history. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. See, you should have been around in the 60s. There was a Dalek comic book, and there was the like guide to the planet of Scaro that the, the writer came out with. And... See, I missed all that cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. See, the thing is, though, every time Terry Nation, that's the name of the writer, every time he writes the history of the Daleks, he writes it differently. Oh, my God. <laughs> so there's the version in the TV show, and then there's the version in the comic, and then there's the version in his little, like, facts about Scarrow book. It's like the Joker's backstory. Right, exactly. <laughs> So, of course, everyone considers the TV version to be the canon version, but it's kind of funny that... I mean, he didn't actually write the comic, but he did give the initial information to the the guy who wrote the comic. Mm -hmm. But yes, there's actually a 60s comic about the Daleks, and it was all about them just going off and murdering other, you know, races. (laughs) And kids apparently loved it, so, you know. Of course they did. But, all right, Julia, is there anything before we go that you want to give a shout-out for or plug? Not really. Just everybody stay home, stay safe, wash your hands, listen to our podcast and watch some Doctor Who with us. <laughs> right. Yes, that's always a good thing to plug, is our own podcast that you're listening to right <laughs> this second. Hey, you never know. But honestly, just uh, if you want to talk some geek, look me up on Instagram. I'm Rumi Elf, R-U-M-I-E-L-F. If you're playing any good video games, let me know. I'm currently playing Final Fantasy VII Remake, so you can come and play along with me if you want. 
Very cool. And yeah, I don't really have anything to plug this time either. I'm trying to find a way to make the 42 cast and time streams work. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll put in my plug for my other podcasts is 42 cast. And honestly, so, so where we are right now, we're recording right now. I am working on editing our first episode and we've moved to zoom for our recording with this one. And it all has to do with that recorder that I used to use, but the audio has some synchronization issues where what Juliet and I say, like start getting out of time with each other. And so there's a lot of micro edits I've got to do fixing and adjusting so that we're not talking over each other or she's not answering something I asked her before I ask it and stuff like that. So it's very frustrating. I hope that now that I'm using zoom and the audio should be clean and synced properly, that that kind of stuff will go away. But if you ever wondered, if, you, if you've if you been following the 42 cast and ever wonder why it's such an irregular release schedule, it's because I tried using a free recorder and it sucks. <laughs> so yeah, I'm shelling out a little bit for Zoom on a monthly basis. You got to pay some money if you want good quality, I guess. It's true. But yeah, so for next time, like I mentioned, it's Edge of Destruction, episodes one and two. Second episode, I think, is called The Brink of Disaster. Oh, wow. They went all out on those titles. <laughs> right. uh, sometimes it's referred to by people who like to go and say, like, oh, but originally they called it this. It's also referred to as Inside the Spaceship. Okay. <laughs> Which doesn't sound anywhere near as cool as The Edge of Destructions. No. <laughs> all right. But, yeah, so that's a wrap for this episode. I am Nathan. I'm Juliet. And we will see you next time. You've been listening to Time Streams, a subsidiary of the 42Cast podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, email us at everything at 42Cast.com. Beginning music is Vortex, followed by Pulse Rock, both by Kevin McLeod and licensed by a Creative Commons Attribution License. Ending music is Voltaic, also by Kevin McLeod and licensed by a Creative Commons Attribution License.